everybody. Welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. Now, normally we're talking with professionals and reviewing comics, but once in a while we like to take a break from format and have what we call conversations uh, on this podcast, very simply. Our last conversation was with several different women from different walks of life, analyzing the portrayal of women in the 60s. Uh, We've also had some lovely conversations around ableism in the past. One of my biggest goals on this podcast is to create a safe space for fans of all walks of life to commune together. And part of that means not only giving space for our conversations and all different types of voices, it also means having hard conversations sometimes. And sometimes that means sitting in our discomfort and educating ourselves and listening and learning from other perspectives. So for all of our listeners, no matter what type of walk of life you come from, I hope that our conversation today is enlightening and welcoming, that I am always open to feedback. Please feel free to reach out anytime. If there's a perspective you'd like to hear shared, or if you have feedback on these conversations that we are having. Now, the podcast that we have here is called Gray Malkin Lane. The reason we called it that, and the, the reason I called it that in the first place, Gray Malkin Lane is the street the X-Men live on. Mutants are often uh, cast out from society, cast out from their families, and they've got to find their own family along the way, which is something so many queer people have to do. So Gray Malkin Lane is meant to represent that safe space, that found family. Uh, As we are working here together today, we're going to be talking with people from different walks of life who may or may not have that type of relationship with the X-Men, a team which has hopefully represented a safe space or a found family in fiction for so many people along the way. So as we are having our our wonderful panel of guests today introduce themselves, let me have you uh, each tell us your name, your gender pronouns, where we might know you from, or or, uh, any wonderful uh, facts or accomplishments you'd like to share about yourself. And then the question I have as you're doing introductions today is just very simply, what do the X-Men mean to you? Uh, First, let's hear from, uh, I'm so happy to have uh, Demanda Martini back. Hi, Demanda. Hi. Hi, Chad. Hello, everyone. So, um, hi, I'm Demanda Martini. Uh, I'm a cosplayer, drag queen, um, hostess, all theater person, all kinds of nonsense. Um, you can definitely find me across social media at Demanda Martini. Um, just doing nerdy drag, talking about nerdy stuff, doing uh, drag things, you know, the huge. Um I, I thank you again for having me back. It's uh, always so lovely. I'm always down to talk nerdy stuff. Um, as those people who already follow me know, uh, if you're hearing me for the first time, please come join all of my ridiculousness. Um, uh, also, uh, uh, I use she, her pronouns uh, when in drag. So um, I did not put in all of this effort to look like this in order to be called sir. Thank you. Um, so um, the X-Men. So uh, I know that we're not recording uh, video, but for those of us who are uh, on this call can literally see behind me my wall of X-Men. Um, and again, for those people who do follow me on social media, kind of know this space behind me as I, as I tend to record a lot of stuff up here in my room. Um, I have been a fan of X-Men for a very long time. The X-Men are very near and dear to my heart. Um, they have always been like, uh, like Chad said, just a very like safe place for me to be able to go to, um, to escape, um, a childhood, which was not ideal, shall we say. Um, and, uh, you know, my favorite characters and, uh, powerful female role models that, um, I craved as a queer child and um, they are just 
I, I, I love the X-Men. I, I, I'm just like, I just wish that for those of you just on audio, I'm like, I wish I could just like throw mental images into your head of like all of the X-Men nonsense that is behind me right now. We'll do a screenshot at the end. <laughs> uh, Demanda, my, my kids know drag culture pretty well, uh, but I was telling them your name and they're like, I've never met someone named Demanda. That's not a real name. And I explained the context and they're like, oh, that's actually very smart. <laughs> Listen, if, if your name is not a pun, again, I, so I know many, many, many drag queens. Um, there are not many anymore, actually, that have pun names, but my my favorites are always a pun. Like a, a pun name is just, just, just that little cherry on top of, of drag culture. That is also <laughs> my favorite. We could do a whole podcast about <laughs> punny drag names. Okay, I am so happy to be here with the incredible cosplayer, Tranquil Ashes. How are you, Tranquil? I am really good. I'm excited to be here. I hope you're well. I'm doing great. Uh, may I call you Tranquil? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so let's begin. Uh, uh, we established beforehand you use she, her pronouns. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and where people might know you from. Man. So, um, well, I am a Baltimore native. Um, I am a cosplayer, content creator. I create spaces um, for people for multiple uh, different uh, topics, both body positivity as well as um, just the space for folks to have fun. Um, I've always been into the arts. It's just kind of been the thing that I've been doing most of my life. And once I saw cosplay, I was like, oh, I have to get in on this. So um, my inspiration was probably Yaya Han. I'm sure many have heard of her. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and she um, she did a Game of Thrones cosplay. And Game of Thrones is like my favorite like piece of literature ever created. And that's kind of what got me into cosplaying. What are some of your more well-known cosplay looks? I've looked through your account and you are stunning. My God. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, well, let's see. I would say probably the three that I'm known most for is the first would be Rose Quartz from um, a show called Steven Universe. Yes. Yes. It's a very inclusive body positivity, gender, color show. So it, it's really felt, you know, close to my heart to represent um, Rose Quartz from that show. And um, I did my own spin. I did an armored version of her. And that got me a lot of um, recognition for kind of stepping out of the box for her character. Uh, let's see. The second would probably be Akuma from Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Street Fighter is like one of the first like fighting games. Pretty much everyone like has heard of it at the very least. And I have a thing for cosplaying villains. So I knew that Akuma would be right up my alley. And it's also I also get to wear pants. So that's like the top notch <laughs> reason for me. Uh, let's have uh, Bar Fox go next. Hi, Bar. Hello. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I am Bar Fox. You may know me from Cosplay Your Way. Hopefully you do. If you don't, please join the movement. Um, we also have the first POC Cosplay documentary that has been released and recognized and it's the award-winning documentary i get to say so i'm excited about that 
Um, you may have seen me at New York Comic Con. You may have seen me as a guest at Dragon Con, a guest at MomoCon, which I will be coming up, and um, many places. I just love to have fun. Um, as Demanda could tell you, I'm embracing. I love to hug people. I love to meet people. I love to inspire and encourage and make sure everyone gets to enjoy this spice of life we call cosplay because it's so fun and it has brought me so many wonderful connections that I don't think I would have had before. And I'm glad because if I could go back in time and tell that kid, Bar Fox, you're going to grow up and be able to wear costumes. I don't think he would have believed me, but here I am. The pronouns I like to use are you and yours, but since those aren't really use i'll go with him and him <laughs> and the x-men to me when i tell you i felt so different growing up in in so many ways i was just not like anyone around me i wasn't black enough i wasn't white enough i wasn't male enough i was too effeminate here i was too too masculine here it was just such a weird a mixture of things and the X-Men allowed me to be amongst other misfits, other people who were different and they embraced that. And for them to find their brethren, to find that group, to have that school of people who, hey, you're different, come over here. It really opened my eyes up to a possible future that I in turn created for myself and I found wonderful people who accepted me for me and all of my quirks. And I did the same for them. And we built these wonderful bonds and did some great things in the world, like creative wise. So, and I still feel I'm that way with all these wonderful people I'm meeting in cosplay. My friend, Corey, uh, who's one of my closest straight friends, <laughs> he's from Alabama. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. I was showing him photos of your cosplay yesterday bar. And we came across uh -huh. your Jubilee and he goes, and I quote, although I won't get the accent just right. He goes, whoa, that's fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Tell him thank you. <laughs> Big fans here in Utah. Oh, man. Um, it's the reason why I like comics. I would say that's what the X-Men mean. Um, the X in Storm specifically, I know that seems like such a cliche answer, but um she's an icon for a reason yeah she's just pretty much everything um a leader you know someone who understands a good friend um just a very overall well-rounded and interesting character and just the dynamics with the x-men in general um how they are so different they come from multiple different backgrounds and how their gifts affect them I believe that that is what really got me interested in knowing anything about like the comic world. So X-Men is the reason I like comics. Uh, and then lastly, let's go to uh, Colleen Bremner. Hi, Colleen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's fabulous to be here. I use she, her pronouns, and I probably can't be found in most of the spaces that you all are in the cosplay world. Although I am quickly dipping my toe into, into more of that being pretty good pals with Demanda Martini here. So loving seeing all the cosplay things that she does. And, uh, I'm very excited to kind of sleuth around more in the cosplay thing. Cause I think it's just incredible. So I think it's, it's an art form and, and a wonderful way to express yourself. And I'm, I'm very excited to, to be here and get to know more about cosplay life. And yeah, so you can find me 
in the body acceptance, body neutrality space pretty heavily. And I am on another podcast called Find Your Food Voice with Julie Duffy Dillon. And I do a segment there called Diet Culture IRL. So a lot of what I do in my free time is advocate for body liberation. So I'm very excited to be here. That's kind of my realm of expertise. And X-Men. Yes. I don't think I've ever thought about the influence that X-Men, X-Men has had on my life, but it's fun thinking about it. I think, yeah, to Demanda and Barr's point, seeing some really incredible female role models that maybe I wouldn't have seen in other spaces with other TV shows or movies, I think is pretty rad and, and probably had an influence on me more than I even recognize. And I think exactly having some misfit, it's like the Island of misfit toys all come together and do some pretty rock and cool stuff. Uh, it, I think has had an influence on me too. So I, I would have to echo those points. I'm trying to think if there's like another <laughs> piece of it that that's influenced me, but other than also just like really wishing that I had superpowers. Um, yes. so, you know, I like would always <laughs> wish on my birthday to fly And I realized at like 12 that I was wasting birthday wishes because I was like never going to fly. So (laughs) anyway, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) Uh, I also have never cosplayed. I used to do the Comic-Con circuit a lot as a professional and occasionally as a guest. And I would watch people in cosplay walking around. And I'm like, I am so uncomfortable with this 12 or 15 fucking hour day. (laughs) And how do these people walk around and like full like metal armor gear I'm like oh my god it makes me exhausted just to think about it alcohol, <laughs> alcohol. alcohol. yeah but I have two drinks and I want to go nap in the corner <laughs> uh, my name is Chad Anderson I use he him pronouns I uh I um the X-Men mean to me, I mean, a, a lot of the listeners have heard me answer this question already, but I grew up in a household that had a lot of trauma in it. And I was the closeted, quiet, gay kid. And the X-Men initially were an escape for me, but that concept of being the other or the misfit that we so often hear represented here, uh, it, it became kind of home for me. It was an obsession for a long time, fan fiction, and then eventually, you know, working for Marvel and doing things Um, Part of the reason that this conversation is happening, because this podcast is in many ways my journey, I I recently completed the trial of the blob, Fred, Fred Dukes, and what that entailed is reading his entire chronology front to back uh, over decades of publication history and preparing detailed notes. And uh, we're going to talk more about the blob in just a minute, but there was just a realization in me like, this is the primary uh, and I'm going to use the, we'll talk about terminology in just a minute, but the primary fat character in the X-Men, if we, if it's okay to use that term as a, as a descriptor, uh, and he is not treated well and, and, uh, constantly just ripped to shreds fat jokes, just constantly tossed at him, uh, until recent years when the conversation has finally changed just a little bit. Uh, then I went back and started looking at like the Kingpin in Spider-Man comics or Daredevil comics. And it was the same type of thing. And I thought, we need to talk about this <laughs> and we need to sit down and just realize uh, kind of what this means. So I want to talk, we we all have a body. We're here today to talk about bodies. It, all of our bodies are made of skin and organs and blood and bone and hair. Uh, our bodies are different shapes and sizes and heights and hair colors and textures and skin colors. 
all of us, I think, have a journey in learning to love and accept our body because we exist in a culture that is constantly telling us that we don't fit, that there's something wrong, that we need to be different or better. Uh, and I think we are all adults in this room, but I think it's a pretty long journey for most people. I think it's a lifelong journey for people learning how to love themselves and then learning again and again and again how to continue to love themselves. We shame ourselves for being skinny or fat or tall or short or too whatever, right? Like there's 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 all these terms. Uh, to open this conversation quickly, uh, Colleen, in your introduction, you uh, you used the terms body acceptance, body neutrality, body liberation. Tell us a little bit more about what each of those mean. And then I, I'd like to just kind of ask some questions to the panel. Let's see what, what we have to talk about today. Yeah. So I, I love that this is a conversation that continues to happen because that's how change happens, right? It starts with a conversation. So I think body acceptance is we found, and I say the collective we in, in body acceptance, body neutrality spaces, that everyone kind of finds their own language that works for them. And when I started out, it was body positivity. That's how I found body acceptance and body neutrality. There was this whole other space on my Instagram that I tapped into. And I was like, wait, there are other people out here who are like radically accepting themselves in their fat bodies. Like what? It was pretty, it was pretty catastrophic in my life. Like it completely turned my life around in a good way. And so I think body, I, I, I don't want to condemn or say that any term like shouldn't be used because I think some people find body positivity to be like very radical and life-changing for them. And that's awesome. Like I would never put that down. So I use body acceptance, body neutrality, primarily because I think sometimes before you can even get to loving your body or being positive about your body, you just have to accept that it's a body. That's it. I think without, without like joy or without like sorrow or without any other feeling, just identifying like this is my body and it's carrying me through my life. And so I think a lot of people also find comfort in that knowing that it doesn't have to be black and white. There's, there's a lot of nuance to what your body acceptance journey can look like, or your, your body neutrality journey can look like. So, and some people aren't ready yet to accept their body, which is why I say body neutrality. If you're neutral in a space that doesn't mean good or bad, that just means you're there. Right. And, and, and some people are ready to accept their body. So then I use body acceptance because they're, they're in a different place on their journey. Um, so that's kind of the, the background or the, the backstory there now, body liberation. I, I think it's, it's funny, the journey that I've gone, because I think I've gone through every phase of this. I started in body positivity. I moved to body neutrality because I wasn't quite there yet. Then I moved into body acceptance and now I'm in the body liberation because I recognize that it's so much deeper than just me. If, if one body isn't radically free to, to be themselves or do what they are, and that moves moved me into the queer space, that moved me into anti-racism work, that moved me into a lot of different spaces. So that's kind of the body liberation because each body is worthy of its own freedom. I love uh, as part of what you're you're answering. I'm hearing the nuance of uh, you know creating a space to talk about these things does not imply that you have to be at a particular destination, 
And then we also want to recognize, I think as people grow and learn and the fields of study change, these terms change every few years, it seems, as far as what is most culturally acceptable. Uh, we're going to talk about adjectives in a minute as well. And we all get to choose the words that we use to describe ourselves, but that doesn't mean we should not be very careful and considerate when we're using words to describe others at the same time. And that is always a, that's always a piece. For example, I am very pleased using the word queer to describe myself. I'm not always comfortable with straight people using that word to describe me. It depends on the context and who it is and how I feel, right? Uh, so uh, anyone, feel free to comment on anything at any time. I want to have a disclaimer before we even begin, and I should have said this earlier. If I get anything wrong today, if I step on a toe or move in a wrong direction, you all have active permission to call me on my shit. <laughs> I will not be offended. <laughs> so I, uh, I work really hard to create spaces of inclusivity, but that doesn't mean I always get it right. So please, please call me on it as I need to be anytime. Um, first question I have, just, just to, can, oh, I, oh, I just please. Yeah, sorry. sorry to interrupt you. Uh, the, um, so I just want to say that that I think that is the attitude that most people need to adopt when talking about anything that is sort of like uncomfortable for other people to have or is a little bit out of their comfort zone. Like um, to be like, listen, I try very hard to make sure that like everybody feels welcome, but I'm not always going to get it right. And again, you can feel free to cut this this if you want to but like literally the other a few weeks ago I was um hosting a drag show for um a college and even though I tried very hard to make sure that I talked to every single performer so it was not only like professional performers but also student performers talked to every performer I talked to all the judges to get all like I want to know what your name is I want to know what your pronouns are I want to know like something that I can use in order to like introduce you and I still to like right now still feel bad about the fact that I still misgendered someone. Um, and it wasn't out of like spite or whatever. I literally just made a mistake of being like, I don't know anybody's name. So I'm just reading off and looking at people thinking that these are their names when those aren't their names or those aren't their pronouns. And I still feel so horrible. And again, someone being like, that's not them. And I was like, you are absolutely correct. That is not them. Um, and, and just like moving on, not not being like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wallow and I'm going to like get like deep in my feelings about it, but just like, yes, I made a mistake and then I'm going to move on from it. And I feel like that is also in like this uh, like body space, um, like, like you were saying, like, I'm okay if like I call myself fat or if like someone that I am talking to who is also um, a fat person and we're like talking about like stuff but if like the dude down the street yells at me fat like absolutely absolutely not <laughs> sir i don't know you you don't know me we are not we're not friends we're not commiserating here we're not like having a positive conversation and i feel like that is such a good uh way to just kind of understand everything about um Things that, things that are uncomfortable, like making sure that you're trying to be as inclusive as possible, but also when someone calls you out, yes, like just do like the yes, and I'm going to, now that I know better, I'm going to try to do better, but right. you're always not going to be right. Sorry, I just went on a tangent. Don't be sorry. I have a, I have a, a therapy practice, and one of my areas of specialty is helping people through transition. Uh, and I'm so careful with names and pronouns constantly. My own child recently asked to be called they, them, and I have flubbed over that 
so much in my own home because I have just known them as a particular pronoun for so long and I am kicking myself constantly. So even when we are trained, it's just like, like we have to (laughs) train the right way. It's so hard to try to do everything right. I also sort of liken it to, um, you know, the, the constant trope that we see of like the perfect little, like the, you know, like the, the person who's like perfect you know, it's like the essay, you know, best SATs, like highest in school. And, you know, as we see in like movies and television and, you know, and media that, you know, usually they have problems associated with the fact that they always have to be perfect. And so it's so hard to be like, I have to be perfect at all times. Like, we're not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We're still people. And we just need to realize when we're wrong and just move from that. Yeah, exactly. So my first question, and let me have Barr answer this first, if it's okay. Uh, very simply, just starting from a place of positive acceptance, what do you love about the body you're in? Oh, wow. So I, I wanted to comment on it. I'm glad you asked me that. So what's so hilarious about me, um, I had an interesting upbringing. I ended up getting my own television show at a very young age. And I was hosting and I was in front of the camera. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was very bold, very exuberant. But people told me I had such a big forehead and big butt teeth. <laughs> so I was like, what? So, I, you know, they say, oh, your forehead's so big, your teeth are so big. You look like Bugs Bunny, blah, blah, blah. And I, for some reason, it took a little time, but I took those insults because they weaponized that. So to say what you were saying, demand does. Some people weaponize words like fat and different things. When we're talking to friends, they're not using it as weapons. But I took those insults and I somehow, some way, and I don't know how to this day, maybe we can figure it out on this call or on this podcast. I, I use that to empower myself. So when my teeth, I, I use my teeth in my pictures, I, I made sure they were big and they were great, but they were white and they were nice and they were straight. And my forehead, I, you know, I played with it. I had different hairstyles, different things, but I embraced my forehead. And thankfully, Tyra Banks came out with a big forehead as well. So it made mine chic. (laughs) So um, these these are things that I didn't like at first, but then they made me me. And as I looked at other artists and other people in front of the camera that had unique aspects like that Mittler, and um, people with gaps and different things that they didn't change to meet the Hollywood constructs. I said, you know what, this is who I am and this is what I do and this could be my signature look. So it's no need to change that because I'm here. You know, I'm healthy, my skin looks great. I have you know, great hair, great teeth. So if they're a little big for some people, that's gonna have to be okay. Yeah, as long as you're watching my show, that means you're looking at me and you can talk about my head on my show as you watch it every week. (laughs) What I love about the body that I'm in is that it doesn't look like anyone else's. It's mine. And the fact that I can, you know, dress it and and move in this world in a unique way. I, I that's what I love about my body. Um, I don't think anyone should look the same. So the fact that I don't and I can like share what's unique about me to everyone is what I like the most. Uh, Demanda and Colleen, if you would like to answer the same question, what do you love about the body you're in? So uh, to to sort of so body acceptance, body positivity, like it's very 
weird to answer as a drag person, as a drag entertainer, because we do so much stuff to make our bodies look completely different than what they are to be perceived as something completely different than, than how we look. Um, you know, uh, I, I've been on many panels and podcasts and stuff talking, uh, and a, a big question that people like to talk about is like, you know, the, the gross DMs that you get, especially as a, a femme presenting person. And like, my answer is just like, you know that the body that you see in these pictures is not at all what I look like, like <laughs> in real life. Like, I don't look like that. The images that I put out on social media and the images that I put out uh, even at a drag show. So you can still see me in real life. Um, but like that image that you see is not at all what my body looks like. And I think through um, being a drag performer and also going through the gender journey that I am currently on, um, it's definitely taken a lot to sort of understand how accepting the parts of my body that I really like about myself. Um, one, like two things, and then I'll let Colleen talk because I know I've already talked too much. Um, <laughs> but two, two, two things. Number one is my nose. Um, some people might think that my nose is too big. And uh, one of the mo most commented things that I get, for, especially from other track performers, is why is it that I don't contour my nose to be like that real skinny line that most drag performers do, um, it is very common to just do like the skinny line down the center and like contour. And I'm just like, cause, cause I like my nose. I feel like it fits my face. I feel like it is proportioned to my face. I feel like it is something that is me. And I also feel like it sort of sets me apart from other people. And the fact that I'm like, no, no, this is just my nose. Like I just contour my nose like I do in theater. So it's like, this is, this is just my nose. I'm not trying to make it bigger, smaller, or whatever, it's just my nose. The other thing is that I do have really great legs. <laughs> so true. Um, so true. <laughs> so towards the top, there is a bit of padding there. Um, but for the most part, my legs are my legs and uh, they are very shapely. Uh, thank you to uh, my parents for putting me in dance and soccer when I was little, because um, they are very delightful and I love them. Um, so, uh, again, those two things I think have really helped me on that sort of like positive acceptance journey. And then Colleen. Yeah, I I love I'm loving listening to these answers. It's it's so so wonderful. I think before I get into mine, I, I want to talk about a little bit of what I hear because I I feel like I'm gonna follow kind of the same formatting, and it's that we are so influenced by what other people say about our bodies. And that really sticks with us, whether it's in childhood or teenagehood or even adulthood now, it's like those things really, really like latch hold, latch a hold on us. And then we spend a lifetime trying to unlearn them. Right. And, and so what, what I was going to say as well is it's like, you start by nitpicking all of those things that are really uncomfortable and I think that at least on my own journey, because I, I definitely don't want to speak for anybody else, but I, I've i always been really uncomfortable with my stomach. It's always been the, the shape of it, the rolls when I like hunch over, I, I've always felt like it's so squishy and like yucky. And then 
as I've been moving through this journey, I also used to never let my husband touch my stomach because that's how like grossed out I was by my own stomach. And now I love it. I love, I think it's great that it's squishy. I, I like, I hug it sometimes and talk in the mirror and say, you're such a wonderful stomach. You hold everything in there. You're the best. <laughs> like, so I think, you know, it just, it, it's really like a huge mindset shift, but also like knowing that I'm the one that's like carrying this body. Nobody else is carrying this body. Nobody else knows what this body is like, but me. And that is what I love about my body. I know every detail of her from head to toe. And I know that when I take pictures, my arms are going to look really big and they're going to be flappy. And I like it. Like I like (laughs) that I'm that way. And it's something that makes me unique and special. And like, that's the thing. Nobody's body looks identical. And that is something to be celebrated, I think. Uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of therapy speak in a minute or for a second, putting my therapist hat on. I'm working with clients from all walks of life, from all gender definitions, from all ages, from all skin colors over the years. uh, And this topic will always come up. And what tends to happen for a lot of people is, uh, I'm going to oversimplify this term, but cognitive dissonance is when we divide our minds into two spaces. We learn to emphasize the parts of ourselves that we're proud of and hide the parts that we're ashamed of, both psychologically and spiritually and even physically. And we'll see people take something like if they're not proud of their stomach or the shape of their hips or the way that, you know, something looks on their face, they'll do things to disguise it rather than learning to embrace it. They kind of push the discomfort away. And then the way we present to others, uh, Colin, you're referencing even being intimate with somebody, but still carrying that shame. That can be very tricky psychologically for people. Um, I also want to say, referencing for all of us talking here, anyone who's saying that they love themselves, what happens for a lot of people? If I say something like, I love my smile, the person that I'm talking to may hear me say, I like my smile, which means it's better than yours. And that is not what confidence is. I think so often people perceive confidence as arrogance or as I'm better than, and that is not the case. We live in a world where we are constantly being told to be ashamed of ourselves or to compare ourselves to others. Good Lord, are gay men cruel to other gay men? <laughs> right, that's an example. And, and men are mean to women and women are- Women mean are mean to women. <laughs> uh, so my next question in this space is, what has the world tried to teach you about your body and the way that you should feel about it? Whoever would like to answer. I can start off. Um, the world has taught me or- barked at me so many different things. I'm in so many arenas um, from behind the camera with my family and other peers. I needed a more athletic body. I needed a more athletic fit. I needed to, I'm a black man. I need to be stronger. I needed to be taller. Um, In the world of television and film, when I was in front of the camera and hosting, I definitely needed to be smoother. I needed to be chic. My, My face needed to be smooth. I needed to be more primped, more, more um, metrosexual. So it, I have all of these conflicting things that were coming at me and they were confusing for me in the beginning when I didn't have a definition of who I wanted to be. But I am happy to say that as I learned me and who I wanted to be, I was able to work with all of those different things, filter out what I didn't want, really put what I wanted my body and my look to be up front 
a little bit more, at least at least hat and at least at the same place in the same space. I still hear some things in my head that influenced me and was able to push through a lot of that. Um, as like I said, as a black man, as a cosplayer, that was another different thing. People were looking amazing in their spandex. And I never had the gym body. I never had the muscles. So it was like, you know, for this costume, you need to be this way. And you need to have triceps and biceps. And I was like, uh, that's not me. So I'm going to do it my way. And my angle and my direction is make everything couture. Make everything a fashion plate. Make everything I do like I'm walking the runway. And because I had that ability in myself and I knew my body and I knew my weaknesses and my strengths, I was able to pull all the things I learned over the years and, and, and make a bar Fox model that worked for me and that was able to give me strength and make me stand tall or allow me to stand tall with all of these strings pulling at me. So, yeah, um, hopefully I've done it well. I think that I have, <laughs> and um, it's, it's still, it's always a work in progress. Um, this new COVID body, I can't say that I like. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and act like I like this new COVID body. It's different, um, but I am working on that. I want to get back to where I'm happy with myself. I'm happy with my look. I want to be 360 cute. We used to say that. And I mean, no matter what angle you take a picture of me, I want it to be a picture I like. And um, I'm looking for that, but you know that means something different for everybody. So there's no there's no 360 cute across the board for everyone. But I know what I like, so um, I'm working on it, and I, I hope I'm doing well. But I have learned that I don't have to meet these expectations of different people. Who, as we grew up, and now that we're older, they didn't hold on to those bodies from high school and those looks from early 20s. And those looks from um, playing sports either. So I'm, you know, hopefully they're seeing that things change and evolve and you need to embrace yourself and, and adjust for those changes. So I know I'm rambling, so I'll shut no, up. No, I was going to say, so, um, this is, so that whole thing that you just said, um, Bar, is literally the reason that you came, like, first to my mind when Chad originally asked, hey, do you know people who would be interested in talking about this? Because... Like your whole brand, as far as cosplay your way, is li is literally that. The, what you said is, I did not have the definition of what I wanted myself to be. Like that, just because, and and I think a, a lot a lot of like body acceptance. It's just the experience and like uh, education and growing and find and finding what it is that you that you like and what it is. Because listen, there are some things that, you know, you just don't like. And so either you change it or you find a way to make you like that thing. Like, you know what I mean? Um, uh, similarly, as like a costume designer, uh, one of the reasons that I became, that I got into costumes was because I was constantly told um, by theaters and productions that I was in that they didn't have anything for me that I either had to bring something in from home or I needed to figure out what it is that I was going to wear because they just couldn't do it. And that definitely affected me in my performance being like, oh, well, these people don't feel like what I bring to the table is, is worth it. You know, we, we say when we um, cast people um, in shows, at least when I'm involved in casting that, you know, your look 
we're casting you. So whatever it is that you look like, that's what we want. So like wh whatever it is that, that you've got going on at this exact moment, that's what we want going on. So please do not change what it is that, that you know, that, that, that you're doing. So, and they, these people were, uh, these customers that I previously worked with were telling me that what I had was not what they were looking for. So it definitely like hurt trying to figure out, well, then what is it that then I can bring to the table? Like I tried to make sure that, you know, I was, I was loud uh, because, you know, that's always something that people are looking for in theater is making sure that I uh, could sing, that I, you know, that, you know, acting was, was really good, that I could, I could move on stage. Like, uh, I was always like, yes, sir, you know, no, ma'am, you know, all of those things. Like, I was easy to work with. I was, plus, um, the other day I watched um, Hope Floats, and the, a line that um, really, really sticks with me is um, when the mother says, oh, well, you used to be so pleasing. She's like, well, mama, I had to be pleasing. And so, like, that definitely stuck with me being like, well, my personality of being pleasing and being someone that people want to be around comes from the fact that I didn't feel like because of the way that I looked that I was included in the conversation. So if people liked me and liked my personality, then that means that I get to be included. Um, but yeah, so again, like the, the, the world telling you what it is that your body looks like. Um, I remember in college, I was in a production of Cabaret, which again was at Utah State University. And to this day, I think is the most clothed version of Cabaret that has ever been produced in the entire planet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but even then, um, so they wanted, um, uh, for those people who are familiar with the show, there's a whole song about how, um, so pineapple was a very rare commodity to get in um, Nazi-occupied Germany. And so uh, when uh, a gentleman gives it to a woman, like she's like, oh my goodness, it's a pineapple. Like how exotic, how interesting. And they have this whole pineapple song and it's really kind of cute, but also stupid. It's one of the lighter uh, songs of that musical. And so they did this whole like hula number, um, which is not a great choice, but it was a choice that happened, but also, um, Side note, in Utah, there is a huge um, Pacific Islander population. So I think like that's kind of what they were like, what they were kind of like going for and pulling from. Um, but anyway, so the boys were supposed to be shirtless in grass skirts. And I was like, um, I'm sorry, you have told me since the beginning, since I joined the school, that I was never going to be an actor unless I lost this amount of weight, that I was never going to be castable, that I was never going to be doing this. And now you want me to appear shirtless on stage? Absolutely not. Like, I was like, <laughs> I'm completely uncomfortable. But thinking about, you know, thinking back then, like, I was not aware of who I wanted to be. Like, I don't even, I wasn't even, like, out of the closet yet. Like, I was just such like a scared like teenager. Like I was 19 um, when we did that show. I turned 20 after that show um, closed. So like, it's just, it's just so crazy how the world just sort of like, you need to do this and you need to be that. Um, but then um, want you to like do, anyway, sorry, I'm getting lost in like my own sort of stuff. But yeah, like it, it's, it's very hard um, to get to the point where you can be being like, I, that is not how I want to be perceived. And so I'm not going to do that. And allowing people to then put their own perceptions 
or their own insecurities on you and being confident enough in your in yourself and love yourself enough to be like, no, I don't need to do that. I think I think telling stories like this uh, from both of you is really natural because when I ask the question like this, we're automatically taking stock of our own journey, our own history, our own development through these things. Uh, Colleen, did you have any answers on that space about what has the world taught us to believe about our bodies? Or, or uh, I'll, I'll stop it there. Yeah, I, I just want to say thank you both for sharing your experiences too, and demand I empathize with yours wholeheartedly. We've we've chatted about that as well. We share that theater audition experience together. Um, but I think I, I have to start by saying a couple different terms. So there's diet culture, which I refer to a lot in, in the work that I do, and then fat phobia as well. And I think that uh, a book that was really influential in kind of unlearning some of these behaviors uh, is called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. And it's by Sabrina Strings. And it really changed the game for me. Um, and so I, I kind of recommend for folks maybe who are farther along in their body acceptance, body neutrality journey, who are moving more into that body liberation space, this is a really great read for you. Um, but I think what it taught me was that the smaller is better really comes from is rooted in racism and, um, and, and in whiteness in general. And I think that, uh, I mean, without going too far down that path, I will say that I think that really what I, what I looked at and, and what I was seeing around me when I was younger were people close to me sucking down slim fast shakes and begging them for my very own. Um, and, you know, movies and televisions, seeing magazines and checkout lines still to this day, you can see magazines and checkout lines where it's like lose whatever. And, in a you know, one week, it's like, it's usually they're outrageous and, and just recognizing that everyone around me was trying to actively shrink their body made me realize, oh, I should also actively be trying to shrink my body. So no matter how many times I was told that I was unique or special and it's good to stand out, the, our culture shared a different message with me, which is that it's better when you fit in, when you look like everyone else and when you don't upset the status quo. And I mean, beauty standards are impossible to keep up with if, if we're talking about X-Men in the 60s. And maybe what the X-Men might look like today, they're going to be very different looks. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we, we look at how people have changed decade to decade. These standards typically keep the same people in positions of power and marginalized groups exactly where they belong. I'm using air quotes here, which is under people in power. Um, I just want to add a piggyback on that. Um, I'm so glad I learned and I, I wish other people knew as we were trying to meet this status quo and look like that person in a magazine and look like that comic book character, but especially the magazine, I didn't know that they were being photoshopped and all this stuff was happening because I didn't have that knowledge at the time. I'm just a young man looking at stuff and I'm like, mm -hmm. this is what they look like. So I brought that up to say, I wish people would take more responsibility of letting us know or letting the public know how things are created and how they make it to the end product because it could potentially save and help a lot of people because they think 
oh my God, this is how they look when they woke up. And it's not, it's a whole team, it's photoshopping. Oh, go ahead, Demandy, you look like you're uh, no, oh. no, I was just gonna say, so especially, especially in drag culture and, and femme presenting things, and I, again, I know that Colleen already understands. So I am, I'm gonna be 100% honest right now. I use Facetune for just a, a very few things. Number one mm-hmm. is to remove the lace from my hairline. <laughs> because <laughs> because sometimes that needs to happen. Like it's just that's just something that needs to happen. Number two is I remove corset lines because I don't like the way that that line sort of like breaks up the suit that I'm usually wearing. So I will get rid of like corset lines. But okay. it's not listen, everyone knows that I'm wearing a corset, but they don't need to see it. Number three, I always like to brighten up the white underneath my eye. That's just, I, it, it just brightens it up. It just makes things. But other than that, I don't morph my body. I don't change the shape of my face. I don't change the shape of my nose. I don't change the shape of my eyes. Like, like I, I want to be very clear that for the most part, the the picture that you're seeing is, is what it is that I look like. Again, what I look like in drag, <laughs> which is a very different thing than what I look like out of drag, um, as, as I spoke about before. But like that, one of the reasons that I don't overly um, Facetune or Photoshop the way my body looks is because I don't want people to think that that's how I then want to be perceived or when they do see me out in real life because I am a performer that you can see me in real life. And they're like, that's not her body. That's not what she looks like. I, I don't need to see those comments. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, again, full disclosure, I very, there's sometimes I will, um, if like my, again, because full disclosure, sometimes if my pad is sitting weird or like the way that my body is moved, if like my pad is like making a weird lump, mm-hmm. do I fix that lump to like push it back out so it's like a straight line? Yes. However, I am not like, cinching it in to make sure that I am looking like I have a size two body. I wear either a size 22 to a 26 because the patriarchy is a sham (laughs) and it's the worst. Um, But yeah, uh, that is my, like, that's the body that I have. And like, I'm not ashamed of the fact that that's what I wear. Um, So I don't ever want to be perceived as being something that is not that size, but there will, again, what I'm putting out is still art. It's still, like, I still want, I, I am usually portraying a comic book character. So, like, I'll fix, like, little tiny things, but I'm not, like, making myself look like a completely different person. Um, unfortunately, the world has tried to teach me that it's not worthy um, to walk around. And unfortunately, um that, you know, society standards when it comes to like beauty and things of that nature um, don't necessarily fit or align with my body, but that's part of my activism. That's part of my like being because I want there to be people who understand that you can do whatever you want, no matter what body that you're in. Uh, Was there anything the world tried to teach you? Uh, Let me phrase this differently. were there things about your body that perhaps you learned to be ashamed of at first, but learned to love later? Oh yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think every, like, at least for most women, um, the tummy area 
is absolutely like the thing that probably has the most struggles when it comes to like my body image. Um, because it's just, you know, the, the overall like thought process is this, that you should have like a flat stomach. And, um, I absolutely don't, you know, and it would look kind of weird <laughs> with everything else that I have going on, but, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I was definitely taught that I shouldn't have one and that, you know, it's not a good look, but I like my stomach. I like to be able to, you know, not bend over and snap in half because I don't have a waist, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's definitely a learning process. Everyone has insecurities and those creep up on a daily sometimes, but just know that, you know, it'll pass. And that, you know, what you're doing, there are people looking at you and they're being expired as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your experience been like as a cosplayer who cosplays as characters, uh, and well, I don't even know the right way to phrase that, who cosplays in your own look as characters who don't look like you necessarily? What's that experience been like as a fan and as a cosplayer? Mm -hmm. um, I would say probably when I first started, I definitely tried to like, look for characters that had similar body types um that had potentially you know same skin color or a you know a, a non-natural skin color so it didn't matter at all um but now i really just go with the characters that i love if i love the character or if i feel like that character represents me in a piece of media then i try to go for that um and it's it's been interesting because um, even in like the artistic world, even in the nerd world, um, there is gatekeeping on pretty much, you know, anything. And uh, it's been a challenge to, you know, break those, uh, those walls down for people who gatekeep who you get cosplay or wear. Right, right. <laughs> but um persistence is the key you keep doing it don't let anyone stop you um and like the results will come i promise <laughs> so when someone says something like rose quartz wasn't black and you can say she wasn't white either she was pink <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> nobody owns the rights <laughs> exactly she's a stone in a projection of light she's <laughs> like what do you mean <laughs> For, for what I'm about to say, and I, I have a little uh, speech about this when we do the blob trial, I'm going to use the word fat for the next little while as a descriptive word. We have a language in which we use all sorts of terms to make us more comfortable or uncomfortable from big bone to plus size to, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, fat can be an identity for some people or, or more than a descriptive word. It can be something that we hold close, kind of like I do the word queer and all that's great. But for this next little section, I'm just going to use the word fat as an, as an adjective uh, in our language, and I want to be very careful. And anyone, please call me out if this uh, if I, if it's used incorrectly in any way. I grew up in a family uh, that was Mormon and emphasized a lot of religious trends as things that gave you moral value. And most of the people on both sides of my family uh, were fat, but also very ashamed of being fat. Uh, and it was it was a really interesting thing to to watch. There's. Uh, I have a whole culture of, of family photos where people place someone in front of them so that they can kind of hide or retreat behind them. Uh, a lot of, photo I've ever been in. 
Yeah, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of deep body shame that really sits with people, but also nobody ever really talks about it. When I was closeted, I for a period of time became uh, fat, and I didn't know the terms like diet culture or body acceptance, and I was very much in the I have less moral value because of my size type of space. I have to lose this weight in order to be okay. Now, ultimately, I ended up losing most of my weight as part of my kind of space to reclaim myself and my body. But it, at that point, it wasn't in an effort to have more value. It was in an effort to kind of own me. Uh, and that's my journey. And it's different from everybody else's. But it was through this process that I started educating myself and learning oh my God, there's this whole world of terms and terminology that I didn't know out there. I hope it's okay that I shared all of that from my own experience. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing the research on The Blob, as an example, The Blob is a character, we're going to ignore you know, the attempted murder and attempted rape parts of his character. <laughs> Just a minute. Like, he is a criminal. He's a super villain. He's still a super villain. <laughs> but he is a character who, whose fat is literally his power. He, uh, he has this enormous bulk that makes him super powerful. He controls his sense of gravity. He's extraordinarily strong. And he doesn't take any shit from anybody. Uh, he does not seem to be ashamed of himself for being fat at all across history. But he's constantly being called names, hippo and chubbins and, and fatso. I mean, it's, it's constant. And there's a particular point where you see him start to stand up, like, don't call me that or I'll beat the shit out of you. And it's a really interesting thing to kind of watch as you watch this character develop over the years. Again, this is a very morally bankrupt character. But there are other characters in X-Men and in other forms of media or 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 even uh, uh, people play um, actors playing characters that we grow to love. Right. So uh, whether whether it's animated or print or cartoon. Uh, we, we have these characters that we grow to, to love or emulate or to reject or think as ridiculous. So often in media, what I think we see happen is we see fat characters used to portray someone who has a lot of moral weakness or their fat is something that they need to be, that they need to conquer or, or, uh, or triumph over in order to have value. So we're seeing that culture reflected in the way these characters are portrayed. Uh, or they're the character to be laughed at, the character to be, to be made fun of. There are certainly different standards for men and women uh, in, in the portrayal of all of this. I think women are much more shamed for being fat than men are. Um, as romantic leads, as you know, all types of things. There's, there's a whole conversation to be had. Uh, and feel free to comment on any of what I just said. But the next question I have for everybody uh, is, is kind of been two parts and feel free to answer uh, with whatever feels safe for you. What characters or stories in the X-Men or any other forms of media uh, or storytelling have uh, in their portrayal have been either painful or problematic for you or healing or healthy for you? Well, not so much for body, but for skin color in terms of the comics. I mean, I know I keep bringing up Storm, but she's just my example. Um, you know, there's some moments in her runs in the X-Men where um, she might have been or should have been the leader or should have, you know, had a little bit more power or um, autonomy over things that were happening via missions and in the group or just overall in the Xavier school. And, you know, she didn't necessarily get those opportunities, even though she was absolutely deserving of those opportunities. Yeah. So yeah. it was, yeah, so it was like moments like that, at least when it comes to skin color, that I was, you know, a little bit disappointed about. But I do, I will say that they have definitely come a long way 
when it comes to that in terms of the comic book side of things. Um, in terms of size, I don't know if I've seen a really good portrayal of someone that's plus size yet, to be 100% honest, um, because it's always a story beat. It's always like that's how she's moving through or they are moving through their story is solely based on whether they're heavy or not right. and how they're feeling about being heavy, not any other talents that they might have. And um, I definitely think that is something in the media, especially movies and TV, that desperately um, needs to be fixed. Like even a most recent example, Euphoria, um, is a huge television show, you know, and yeah, yeah. young people watch Euphoria. And the plus size girl in um, Euphoria has this weird shift where she's like, oh, I'm dressing sexy now. But because I'm still insecure with my body, I'm now dating and having intimate relationships with full ble- like full-blown adults who are taking advantage of her because of her insecurities of being plus size. Hmm. So it's things like that that I find very distasteful. And it also kind of reinforces people to continue to treat people that way that are plus size. Oh, that's how they get treated. Oh, that's how they feel. We don't have to change anything. And I know I absolutely do love Ursula. It's funny because when I was a kid, I was scared to death of Ursula. I was scared <laughs> to death. I was just like, is that like lightning? Is she like 400 feet? Like, I remember that being a thing when I was a kid. And that big, um, that big laugh she has. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. Yes, but now I use that laugh. It's a great laugh. Um, Like Ursula... Ursula is definitely a great example of someone who's confident, capable, extremely capable, and not limited by the fact that she is a plus size character. Um, In fact, I feel like Ursula is definitely the second most popular character in Ariel. um, And she has been cosplayed cosplayed probably as much or more than Ariel. So um, I think if we get more portrayals, like that, like a confident person, um, extremely capable, and not even talk about the fact that they're plus. Like you never hear about body in that you know movie. So I think that's what we need to do. Just like, it's not a thing. Right. It's a it's a person that's plus size living in the world, and we don't have to talk about it. Uh, any other, any other characters come to mind? And if not, that's completely fine. Let me see. Hmm. So many shows I've seen. Um, <laughs> it's been a two years of pandemic. <laughs> right. seen a lot of TV. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of shows. <laughs> um, probably. Um, actually, it's it's not even. It's an, an anime. Actually, um, Chosho is in uh, the Naruto universe. If you've heard of Naruto before, um, and she's a young girl and she's on the little uh, the heavier side. But um, it's to her benefit. Um, You know, it increases her powers. She's extra strong. There are a lot of benefits that come along with her size. So that is something that I thought was very refreshing. Instead of it being a detriment to her skills, it was a positive to her abilities to navigate throughout the show. So I was like, either that is the way you do it, make it like, hey, I own this and it doesn't stop me or don't talk about it at all. 
Yeah, I think we're seeing more things. Uh, we were talking, I was talking with my kids the other day, but I think her name is Louisa from Encanto. Yes, Encanto. Where, where you see this very vulnerable, strong, like everybody expects me to be strong and I have this core of what I want in the world that nobody sees. I, I, we're seeing more depth where it's not the defining characteristic. It's just a characteristic, right? Exactly. So, I felt very close to Louisa. Um, I love Encanto. Like, I don't know yeah. who doesn't, but I love Encanto. Um, I've also cosplayed in, um, Louisa. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, so I 100% am right there with her as a character. Um, also to see, you know, a, a buff, bigger girl be feminine mm-hmm. and not like rough and and butch. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's always where it goes. It's never anything different. Um, and and being vulnerable, it's very um, it's very refreshing because I feel like the the tough persona is something that bigger people have to carry all the time, um, whether it to be to fit in or just to keep themselves safe from you know hor- you know bad talk or you know even physical things sometimes yeah, yeah. when it comes to your size. So Louisa, we need more Louisas. Yeah. Um, I can speak. Um, I'm going to speak on the healing first for X-Men. So what I found really interesting in the X-Men and interesting about my interpretation of what I thought I was seeing is Mystique. I loved her power to be able to morph into any body she wanted to and change her appearance. But what I ended up loving about her character the most is although she could be anything and anyone, she chose to look how she looked. And you had to accept that or not. And that empowered me in so many ways when I was looking at the comics or watching the cartoons and things like that. Because at first I was like, well, she could just be anyone. Why would she look like that? Why would she stay blue and look weird or whatever or look like she's not accepted but i i learned through that or it doubled down on my teaching with her accepting who she is and saying i'm going to give you me although i can be anyone else it was it was really therapeutic for me in a lot of ways let me uh, can i can i comment on mystique quickly bar and then i'll turn it back to you sure i've 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 thought the same thing about mystique and I, i i think there's a psychological uh flip back here I think Mystique to look like others, it takes a lot of energy. For her, it's literally a use of her power. She literally has to shift her form. And to try to look like anybody else, using that much energy all the time must be exhausting. So why would she look like anybody but herself? Love and I think, I think that transcends for us psychologically or spiritually too. Why would we do anything less than love ourselves? It takes so much energy away. Uh, like just be in the skin you're in, right? Uh, but yeah. I apologize for interjecting. Go ahead. No, I love that. I love that addition because I think it is layered. Uh, the wonderful thing about X-Men is things are so layered. It's, it's really deep and it is given a message through entertainment. And for those of us that see in deeper, we see it and we feel it and it's healing. Um, a, a, a problematic one for me, and it's not in the X-Men universe and it's not even in Marvel, is Amanda Waller. Um, that was very problematic for me because I accepted, loved, and appreciated Amanda Waller's image and who she was as a strong, Black, voluptuous woman that commanded what she commanded. Um, I started having a problem with that as we brought Amanda into different things in different shows. Uh, yeah, Amanda pointed her nose. 
and, and changed her into all of these other things. And it wasn't enough characters that allowed someone to embrace that look. So for people to continually readjust that look and, and make her model-esque for, I think she looked like a supermodel in one of the shows. I think maybe it was Smallville or something else. It was it, it was like, what's going on? I was going to say, no, no shade to Angela Bassett or Viola Davis, who are powerhouses in their own right. I would have loved to see Octavia Spencer as a man. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I, I totally agree. So that one became problematic for me because I think as we were in that world of, okay, so it's a Black woman, it's strong, we need to show her in a positive light, but people's definition of what positive was and what positive is stepped on the appearance and the already developed character that was already there. And it just caused a lot of confusion. So in a course of, I think, four or five years, we had five different Amanda Wallers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 bo- like, uh, and even though, you know, you had brought up the Kingpin earlier, Chad, um, even though the Kingpin did have like some problematic stuff, like Kingpin has always been showed, yes, he is huge, but the point is that he's still fast, agile, and will still like break your neck. Yeah. Like he, and I feel like that's also something uh, her, like with Amanda Waller's character, it's, it's something that will allow people to underestimate her. So that way when she does out, out when you, her whole thing is, uh, you know, um, uh, for a while, the the organization that she ran was called Checkmate because she's already five steps ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that that that's her superpower. Even though she's a human who doesn't have superpowers, is the fact that she has outstrategized you from the get go. Like that that is is like please underestimate me because I'm a fat black woman, but I am still going to own every single thing about you. <laughs> um. So um. Something, uh, so healing, I'll start with that. So I am, and again, people who can't see me, I'm going to, you know, we'll be posting pictures, but Ursula, I, my, my Ursula, I, I've, so I have a whole shelf over here in, in my nerd uh, room to Ursula. Um, as a child, one of the first movies that I remember seeing in the movie theater was The Little Mermaid. And at first, of course, like, uh, so I come from a family of redheads, um, I was like, oh, Ariel, like, she's so cute. She's so pretty. She has a great voice, blah, blah, blah. But when Ursula came out, I was like, nope, that's it. That's the one. That, 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 that is who, that, that is who I idolize. And then coming to find out that, like, her whole design was based on Divine, uh, who is a drag performer from Baltimore. Um, that, that whole sort of, like, journey of how that character was created, like, and like her not being ashamed to be like, I'm going to turn around and you're going to see my back rolls and I'm going to dance and show you <laughs> not be underestimated by body language. Like Ursula, I don't ever feel like her size was played for a joke. I don't feel like her size was ever played um, for anything negative. Like, yes, she's the villain. I mean, villain kind of. Ariel knew what she was getting into. That's her fault. Um, <laughs> um, like, like, yeah, she is the villain, the antagonist uh, of that story, but, like, nothing about her look or size was ever played to be, like, the butt of a joke. And I feel, and that was just very great to me. So, problematic, 
here's my long list. I have obviously <laughs> looked into a bunch of characters. And I'm going to try to be brief about a few of them um, and just sort of like hit on some, some big points. Because the thing is, uh, like fat phobia and like being mean to fat people is literally still something that is just some somewhat still socially acceptable. Like you're still allowed to make fun of fat people. Um, so uh, the you know the the blobbing one um, one that I find extremely problematic, and I feel like more recent uh, iterations are trying to make it better. Are it is uh, Big Bertha. Oh, Big yeah. Bertha is is a mutant wow. um, character uh, from the Great Lakes Avengers, and so during the daytime, she is one of the greatest supermodels of 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 the world. Her name's Ashley something. And she's she's so she's like the Iron Man. She's the one who gets who funds the Great Lakes Avengers because she is this prolific model. But her mutant power is that she can, much like the Blob, create layers of mass in order for her to be super strong, um, which is great. But it makes her look fat, and so she her code name is Big Bertha. But in order for her, and again, this is canon. Let, well, let me. Let me pause yeah. this quickly. So she's been changed over the decades quite often. And yes. there was a particular storyline in the 90s in a Great Lakes Avengers series that added this detail later. It was already problematic, but I know where you're going next. So yes, yeah, please proceed. So, so added later, so for her to then shrink back down to her quote normal size, she had to throw up. Yeah. Like I, 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 again, Colleen just rolled her eyes. When I, again, so like when this character was introduced and I found out about that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Like abso absolutely just like whatever man, because we obviously know that it was a man who wrote that, like just gross. That guy's going to get like a punch in the nuts for me later. Like it was just, Dan. It was Dan Slott, who's uh, an incredible writer, and I think he learned a lot from that story. But yeah, uh, we um, interviewed. He's also extremely problematic on Twitter, but that's. We interviewed uh, Zach Gorman on the podcast about this character a while back, and he, in her most recent iteration, he portrayed her as "I am just going to keep her big all the time." When she's supermodeling, she's big. When she's superheroing, she's big. And she, he just kind of kept it in that space. It's and, still and, slightly problematic sometimes. Yeah, but, but like, but again, but like knowing like that's kind of where she came from. So other characters uh that were like like uh pink pearl was um a villain for the for the for alpha flight mm -hmm. who was just again just uh like a fat woman um uh so karma uh from the x-men from the new mutants well again oh, new mutants right there um <laughs> the, uh, the new mutants uh so the shadow king uh possessed her body and in an instance of body horror um, because he had finally like been able to be in a corporeal form and be able to experience touch and taste and the five senses, he then gorged himself and made karma become a very obese woman, which already is problematic. Like that's already just like so awful because poor karma had already been through enough. Like this poor woman's whole life. Has been <laughs> so then Later, when the X-Men and the New Mutants um, and Alpha Flight go to um, Asgard, uh, Thor's, you know, home, home world, they all sort of like go on these adventures and Loki is, of course, you know, the god of mischief doing all of these things. And then, um, so Karma got stranded in the desert. And so through her just sweating it out for the years that she spent in the desert, 
all of a sudden emerges as this model body woman. Again, (laughs) sure. That's not how that works, but okay. (laughs) And so then Loki at the end of the story goes, okay, everyone's going to go back to how they started because like, you know, I'm going to take these vaccines. Like, we're just going to go back to how we started. Except for karma. Because I feel bad because you were fat at the start of this. And, like, literally says that in the story. Like, I feel bad for you, so I'm not going to make you go back to how you started this journey. And it was just, like, ugh. Just awful. So the the last character that I'll bring up, again, there's so so many more. Yeah, yeah. One of the last characters that I'll bring up is not from Marvel. Um, And I'm trying to, I can't, I think it's, I think Image but it's from the story, uh, the comic book series, Rising Stars, uh, which is um, an, uh, a, a comic written by, I'm not, I'm not even gonna try to remember who it was, but uh, you can Google it. So pretty much what happens is there, it sort, of, it sort of starts like how Heroes, the TV show started. There was like um, some sort of cosmic event that happened to earth and every woman who was pregnant at that time when the baby was born had superpowers, it was kind of like, kind of the origin story for everyone. So there's a whole generation of superheroes that are born. So one character, his name was Peter, had invulnerability. It was very much, it was kind of like um, Eunice the Untouchable for those of us who are familiar with X-Men, where he just pretty much had like a constant force field around him, which means that he could not experience any sort of sensation of touch. The only sense of touch that he could experience was food because he could actually eat which means that he just gorged himself and became this very obese person in a chair, hating his life, hating everything because he literally could not, he could not experience the world because he couldn't touch it. Um, so there's the the whole subplot of that, or not subplot, but the whole plot of that story is that there's someone going around killing all of the supers in order for them to gain powers again, very much like heroes again, heroes, you stole rising stars. <laughs> I'll let other lawyers deal with that. Um, so the person, because he had a force field around him, he couldn't like cut him or, you know, do whatever. He literally just pressed hard enough while, cause he was fat and couldn't feel anything, just got around him so closely that he just crushed his windpipe and oh. just, he stopped breathing. Because and anyway, like that and like the like those are the the the, the images. Of, it's like fat person who hates their life, fat woman who needs to throw up in order to be thin again to make any sort of money, and um, oh, and also there's the character fat in um, in uh, the later iteration of X Force who uses fat and I think he's the sort of least problematic aside from the fact that he's on that Ecstatics X or whatever. Um, team that was already like a problem. Um, like, but there's there, but the thing is, he could still like be skinny again. And like, I his see. whole form was, I'm gonna be skinny until I go do superhero stuff. So it's like, there isn't any sort of like superhero who's like, yes, I'm a fat person and I am gonna be a superhero. And this is just. And, uh, and his name is spelled, for our listeners, his name is spelled P-H-A-T. And he is a gay character, actually. We'll talk yes. more about him another time. Uh, Colleen, did you have any answers here? I can't really speak to X-Men. I don't want to pretend that I know what I'm talking about here <laughs> no, you're great. on that. So I will speak to, um, I'll start with the, the painful ones first. I think that 
one of the very first examples was, uh, I guess like my personal first introduction to a fat suit. And that was Monica on friends. And I think that anytime that I, I think about women, usually in heteronormative relationships on television or in movies like Bridget Jones, after she gets dumped, the movie Shallow Hal in all of its horrendous, I don't I can't even say glory because it's such a bad movie. And I think that like in Monica's case and most of these folks cases, these fat people are depicted as the funny fat friend, the butt of a joke, evil, lazy, or unintelligent. And these stereotypes are super degrading and they don't really have any basis in reality. And yet, sadly, they influence the way we think about fat people and fat people in relationships in particular. So I think that's, I'll kind of leave that there for the like, I mean, the list goes on and oh, on. Oh, yeah. Right? If, we, if we put our heads we could, together, we could come could up with This could be a whole <laughs> episode, I think, in and of itself. But healing-wise, Miss Piggy, like, one of the best Muppets of all time. Uh, yes. And, like, she crushed it, like, and had a very, like, I don't know. She's just the best. Like, so, all hail Miss Piggy. Yes. And then I would say uh, the last one is is shrill the tv show and it started as a book and i think that that is the first time in my life that i've ever seen a an actually fat actress play a fat person and have the the entire story not be about her fatness and how her fatness makes her not be able to do something or, or her fatness is the the main priority or she's trying to lose weight or whatever the case may be. It's, it's her story and it's her life. And it's like, yeah, we as fat people have lives and they deserve, these stories deserve to be told. So I, I think that that was really healing for me. And I have, I, so many more books and things that I can chat about later. <laughs> oh, and I would love, I would love for you to send us like a, a, a list or a reading list and we can post it. Uh, the author of the book, Shrill, I think it's Lindy West, if I'm remembering that right. Yep. When I, when I was first, and, and I had been a therapist for years when I first started kind of exploring these topics, because uh, I had some clients going through stuff and I'm like, diet culture, I need to learn about that. And uh, Shrill, the book was transformative for me. It opened up an entire new, I started listening to podcasts and researching a lot. Like it, it really uh, changed perceptions. One of the things I'm seeing here as we talk about uh, healing or helpful stories is we're taking characters who are fat or, or different shapes and sizes. And they're like, fuck you, I love myself. Like that's what we're finding so uh, admirable. Uh, and then characters who are used as plot devices are the ones that we're finding most problematic, which is a, uh, which is really fascinating to consider. Um, uh, in uh, in the X-Men, we see a team who, uh, in the current era, they have formed their own nation. And they are saying, everyone is welcome here. If you are a mutant, you belong 100%. But we're still seeing storylines because of bias and culture, where the characters who are most quote-unquote passing, and I know the term passing is not always the, the best term to use, are emphasized. We see characters 
who are fit and white or or cisgendered uh, emphasized. Now there's a new era of storytelling where we're seeing a lot more racially diverse characters portrayed and a lot more queer characters portrayed, but we're still seeing just a very dominant white men and women who are very fit as the primary characters who are showcased. Now over the years, we see characters that we love and latch onto in the X-Men because they struggle with things and we get it. Mystique, we talked about a minute ago, Rogue can't touch anybody and we love her for it. Nightcrawler has blue skin and a tail and he loves himself. And it's still a sex symbol. And it's still a sex (laughs) symbol and we love him for it. But there are still so many mutant characters who are portrayed uh, in so many different body types or ways or mutations or styles, some who can transform back and forth. Others who are stuck in particular ways. Uh, we've got Eye Boy, whose body is literally covered in eyes. Uh, like there's there's all these different types of characters. Uh, some who have fur or lizard skin or large extremities. And a lot of the story around these characters becomes: Do they love themselves or not? How do they fit into the culture? How do people treat them for what they look like? Now we are seeing a new era of storytelling in comics and in other places. Uh, 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 Colleen, you just mentioned Shrill, which is a beautiful example of this. Um, the, in uh, Domino Annual Number One, uh, the fourth story. So it's like toward the back of the book. Uh, Leah Williams and Natasha Bustos, who I love and adore both of them, tell a story. It's short, but it's great about Nightcrawler running a support group called the Mindfulness for Mutant Appearances group. And I'm going to read you Nightcrawler's little speech as he welcomes all these different mutants with body types. Uh, He says, good Abend, everyone. Thank you for coming to the first ever meeting for a meeting of Mindfulness for Mutant Appearances, our new support group. Mindfulness for for Mutant Appearances, or MMA, is a support group for non-passing mutants and friends to come together and work on reducing our critically negative body images. The goal is to distance ourselves from human expectations of acceptable mutant bodies and questioning the human influences that shaped the way we regard ourselves. We'll start by sharing an experience of feeling othered as mutants, a time when we were made aware of being different. And we could go on from there, but look at what happens in the types of stories that we're telling when, first of all, we get more women and queer writers, <laughs> which is really important. But we start to see little nuggets of people finding uh, finding these spaces, even as the more passing quote unquote characters still continue to get emphasized. So just kind of introducing that, tell me some of your thoughts on that. And what mutants with non-traditional body types do you love most? Uh, who do you want to see emphasized more? And this can extend into other forms of uh, media or storytelling as well. I will always say there definitely needs to be more Black representation, but there also needs to be more everything else, literally everything else. Um, uh, Middle Eastern, Asian, um, you know, at, you know, African and not necessarily African-American um, because, I mean, I think that's one the thing that I loved about X-Men is because I could get the variety. And um, I think that's definitely something they should continue to push in terms of the comics that just keep, you know, keep going out places that, you know, you've never heard of or very few people know, you know, bring that in and maybe even bring their problems in. Because that was also another thing that I thought that X-Men did great is that it like aligns with, you know, real world events. So I do think, you know, it could do something to impact and maybe change minds when it comes to uh, characters and how they are presented and like how big or small they are. Um, but in terms of characters, I think that kind of fit outside of the, the you know, generic 
um, pretty mode for X-Men. Uh, let's see, who do I like? I like, I think his name is Black Bolt. Sure, yeah. Correct. Um, Black Bolt, he's the one I think that screams and can like blow a planet up. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's really cool. The guy who has a star for a head. Hmm. Like, I cannot remember. Oh, like, Zorn. Literally. You're thinking of Zorn. He's got like a, like Zorn. a, he's got the mask on. Yes. Like, his brain is a star. star yeah. And his brain is a star. Like, that. I just, like when I first saw that, I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. We need to know more about this, this sun as a star head person. Like I need to know more about that. But like, even in with so many characters and so many uh, different places that X-Men come from, I can't think of that many that aren't skinny, fit and pretty. So from that, from that story, cause I did look it up and I was like, oh wait, no, I do know this story. Um, so, and, and she's appeared as a background character in throughout the Krakoa era is Briquette. Yes. Um, Briquette. She, so she's like this very big bulking woman who has like fire hair, maybe. Um, and her powers are mostly like super strength. Like she's like smashes the floor and like, she's kind of hot. So like, she like melts stuff or whatever. And I just feel like, um, cause in, in this, in the one image uh, on Krakoa, um, I believe that she is with um, another like non-humanoid person, like in the the Green Lagoon, which is like the party place for for the mutants. And uh, so, like to me, not only does she just represent like um, like someone who's like othered body wise, but she also just sort of comes off as very queer. Um, and, and I'm like, I really want, I, I really want stories to focus on these characters who are just sort of like othered for, for like being, be, and, and the thing is, I feel like now in, in the Sabretooth series, uh, we're finally sort of like getting that like bling, who is another, um, black woman who is queer, who also is, uh, her body is like Chris, like crystal, um, uh, she is, like, starting to, like, uh, there's, like, a subplot, I guess, in, like, the Sabretooth series, where she's, like, hey, listen, there's some shit going down, and Krakoa is not all that it's cracked up to be, and, like, she's, like, sort of, like, spreading the word to, um, other, other characters, um, I, I, I want to see more of, like, what it's really like being on Krakoa if you're not sort of, like, the heteronormative, like, like, you know, x-men because however much i love the x-men um it is still very white hetero and however much x twitter again i love x twitter it's amazing <laughs> to be a part of it i get to like chat with nerds all day and people being like the x-men are queer mm, kind of kind of <laughs> like kind of it's all very heavily implied it's uh, because there are a lot of queer people, including uh, Leah Williams, who I have had the pleasure of like having like actual conversations with um, on DMs about. Uh, there is one night she posted something that I was drunk, she was drunk, and uh, we just both like kind of had a cry with each other, like just just talking just talking about like growing up queer is anyway. Yada yada yada, but like I I I want more of that on Krakoa. Um, I feel like I feel like that story that you that you referenced in Domino, like th that sort of thing, needs to happen more. Like poor Anoles, 
story about when he like tries to go meet that boy that he met on the internet, but he's like, but I didn't tell him that I'm a lizard. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> like poor, poor Noel just like wants to be loved. And um, he's so self-conscious, you know, so, so self-conscious about the fact that he's a green lizard with like a giant armor arm. Um, again, okay. That's well, all I'll uh... say about I'll, that's, I'll add this to the conversation really quickly on that Domino story. One of the things that I love, and I think Leah does so well here, is they're trying to create a safe space for people who have felt othered for their body types. And almost the first thing they start doing is judging each other. Well, right. Briquette, Briquette looks at Stacey X and she's like, she looks like she's pretty human. She doesn't belong here. And someone else is like, Toad's evil. He doesn't belong here, even if he's been othered. And like... We, we create safe space for smaller sub-communities and immediately start adopting the cultural guidelines that we are trying to escape from. It's fascinating. Well, and yeah. I was even going to say, I think, I think Thumbelina is also yeah, in, yeah. That, in that group. And she's relatively human-looking. She's just a fat woman. And I, I'm honestly surprised that, like, that wasn't like, oh, no, she's superhuman. Like, she... Or I'm surprised that like they didn't try to slut-shame Stacey X because she started out as not a prostitute, which... No matter how many people on X Twitter want to say she was a prostitute, she was not. She used her powers to give men orgasms. She did not actually sleep with them. There is a <laughs> huge difference. Um, so stop slut shaming. It's gross. Um, Bar, what are some of your comments on all this? Oh my goodness. So for me, for the original question, um, you brought up Nightcrawler, who I love. That was my favorite X Men forever. Um, I love Beast. He had. He has a non-traditional look, non-traditional body. I still don't know what it was, but I, I really like that because even in the scope of X-Men and the scope of, um, you know, the Morlocks and everything and not being accepted, he's, his, his brain, his abilities made him stand out for me and, I don't know, somehow garnered respect in some way. And... I just thought that was truly amazing when I was reading the books or watching and stuff that for some reason, the way he was written, the way he was presented to me didn't ostracize him. And I appreciated that. And his agility and even his skill set was not even really relied upon as much as his brain in most of the cases, because he's super strong. He can do all these things. But I love that they went internally with Beast and they brought out something deeper than his physicality. And it was amazing to be able to watch him and look at him and not, you knew he was blue, you knew he was hairy, but at the same time, he just brought so much to the table that that was not all he was. Um, as for shows that I think are getting it right, and again, I'm going out of X-Men and Marvel, but I do think that Although it's canceled now, uh, I think that Batwoman got it right yeah. um, with a lot of things that they were doing. They did it right with the LGBTQIA aspect of the show. Um, they did it right. And I'm going to flip to the other side with men and women being told they're not athletic enough. They're not, they're too frail. I love that Batwing was a small, short, just mild-mannered guy. Um, for a long time, you had to be bodied out. You had to be muscular. You had to be a certain look for you to be able to put on the armor for you to do certain things. And um, I love that he's small, like an alpha flight, although he went crazy. I love Box. I thought that was an amazing character. Um, 
So it's things like that, that throughout the years I looked at and I embraced and I thought to myself, somebody's in the room, somebody's in the conversation that gets it. And a lot of times I work in television and film and a lot of times it's hard to get heard. Please know that some of us are in there arguing for what you want. It gets pushed back or we, we don't have enough power at the time. But I love it when things like that break through. And I want to commend the people that did Batwoman because they did such a wonderful job. And they were so, in my opinion, understanding and liberated and open to what today's world looks like. And kudos to them for bringing the first Black Joker. Kudos to them sure, for yeah. letting Black love be on the screen with powerful women. Kudos for them for bringing the Asian community and, and putting them up front. I think the whole cast was just diverse. It was like maybe one white person on it. So it was just really interesting for them to do it right, in my opinion, that way. But um, yeah, so to answer the questions, Beast, Nightcrawler, and um, Batwoman got it right to me. Fantastic. And Colleen? Yeah, so I think, well, this is a comic book crowd, so I'll name a couple comics that I think are really, really great, and they're getting it right. Faith <laughs> is a comic. It's by Jody Hauser, Francis Portella, and Marguerite Sauvage. And Faith is like this amazing, fat superhero, and she doesn't alter herself when she goes into alter ego. So she has a large stomach. She has double chins, the way she's drawn. She's not um, what I feel like we kind of talk about as like, like a flattering fat with like a thin face or a smaller face. Um, I used air quotes there. No one can see me, but, <laughs> uh, and her weight is discussed, but she's never the punchline of like any jokes, which I really appreciate. And then another one is called Moonstruck. Mm. And uh, that's by Shay Beagle, Kate Leth, and Grace Ellis. And uh, it's pretty, it's like a pretty fuzzy, like warm one, but also has like some sweet fat characters. And um, she's goes into like a werewolf, werewolf alter ego. So just to name a couple of, of some comics, um, I'm sure there are more out there that I don't know about, but uh, and then I think just seeing more representation in literature, like uh, One to Watch is another, it's a book, uh, it's by Kate Stamen London, I believe, and it's a, it's just a, a fluffy, like, beach read, I would say, but it's, it's about a, a plus-size woman who goes on a bachelorette-style dating show and um, gets her pick of like a huge diverse variety pool of men. And I mean, I, I think there's a lot of places where it could be, uh, I mean, I think that there could be better representation as well, but um, I think that there, there are some places that, that are getting it right. And I think that honestly, the, the fact that we're able to have this conversation and name some of these things, like bar fox said like that means people are in rooms having these conversations mm -hmm. saying like yeah your story deserves to be told and we want to tell it and here's what we want to do to make it happen and i think that's pretty huge like change is definitely happening and yeah I, i'm very excited about that 
I don't want to cut you off. Um, what's interesting, and I just thought of this because um, I was on the boat. It was very interesting to me, and I forgot what it was. Demanda helped me. It was um, a show where they had people creating their own comic book characters. And I was so amazed and so excited to see that the character Fat Mama won. And um, do you guys remember that at all? Uh, it was it was it on sci-fi network i think it was on sci-fi network okay and you got to become your own character yes and all of these people came they came up with their own costumes they came up with their own powers they came up with their own looks and at that time in the world it was just really interesting and i felt like it was forward moving that out of all of those people that came on with all of their things a a woman that called herself fat mama won the whole thing and she embraced her body. She embraced her look. Um, you know, some of the things were probably stereotypical. She got her powers by eating donuts or something. But I, I just think back to that because I met her. Like she did a tour and I met her and she was so excited. And I, the reason why I brought that up because we have so many pockets for me where I think we're moving ahead and we're opening ourselves up and we're embracing and we're allowing people to be themselves. And then we get into certain scenarios where I feel like we weaponize things or we make all of the more voluptuous characters evil or mean or villains. And we make the other ones look a certain way. And it's, I don't know why this tug of war is happening so much and so often. And I'm glad we're in spaces and places, like Colleen said, and have these conversations and and talking about it because it's so needed and i think a lot of us are getting even scared and petrified to say certain things because as i talk to certain people i'm kind of getting more worried about the adjectives that i'm using um what i'm saying and and it doesn't allow me to convey some of the messages and i'm not saying that i'm always right by all means i'm like you chat you know call me out when i'm out of line or if i step in somebody's toes but because so many things are changing, so many narratives are changing, so many words are changing, I think it creates this weird space where people aren't able to hit the topic the way it needs to be hit in a lot of places. But at the same time, I wanted to bring up Fat Mama because that was a time where I think it worked. Uh, um, they picked a person, I hope, because she had the best story and she came up with the best costume and she wasn't a joke. She was just the best. And the body and the presentation was accepted for what it was. So um, I, uh, I could reference a thousand that come to mind from Hairspray to Mama in yes. Chicago to, but we're moving from an era where instead of an isolated character in one isolated show, we're moving into an era where we're seeing a lot of portrayal in a lot of spaces. I wanna bring up the character really quickly. For those that watch This Is Us, the character Kate Pearson played by Chrissy Metz, literally starts out on a weight loss journey. That's where they begin her in her storyline. But over the course of the season, she's just a, a woman who loves herself and she is a mom and she loves music and she has trauma and relationships and it's it's complex. <clears throat> We're moving into an era where people are allowed to be more than just one thing. We're also moving into an era where we aren't just loving characters who are fat, who love themselves anyway right? Fat is one descriptive word under what should be a lot of words to describe someone. And it should not necessarily be at the top of the list, just like it is with gay characters or women characters or black characters. They should be able to be well-rounded 
complex individuals who have lots of motivations and storylines. Uh, so as we're wrapping this up, we're not necessarily seeking to answer any questions, but I hope we're sparking a lot of ideas. I hope we're making people feel feelings and to consider things and to go out and pick up some books or to look at things a little bit differently. Uh, one of the big things we're doing on this podcast is analyzing 60s books from a 2022 perspective, which is always a very challenging thing to wow. do. But I love that we are having these conversations. Um, for each of you that were here today, I hope you had a wonderful time. Uh, as we are wrapping up, if you have any final thoughts, feel free to share. And then where can people find each of you online and or what do we have to look forward to uh, coming up from you? I'm a really big fan of like oxymoronic words together. Um, and I also um, am very big on rebirth. So as a plus size Black queer person, I often get, um, you know, negative things towards me or being told that I am not capable of doing something. And so I took the Phoenix motif as in, you know, every time, you know, something hurts you just get reborn and you're back again and you're pursuing your dreams and everything along those lines so it's it's kind of like a combination of of the tranquilness that comes with the burn and like um but through that burn you get the phoenix yeah so i'm always rising i love that love it love it um, <laughs> where can we find you online Let's see. I am on all major socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all under Tranquil Ashes. Um, and since this is coming out May 30th, I will be releasing um, my new Twitch stream soon. So Yay. definitely keep your eye out for my Twitch stream. And um, I will be probably going to AwesomeCon for those who go to conventions um, and cosplay. I will be there and I'll probably be paneling. So I will post about that and you should come and see me. <laughs> How lovely it is to get to know you today, Tranquil. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, let's go in the order of Demanda, Barr, and then Colleen. Uh, so, uh, I wanted to bring up one more book, uh, that people can look into. And also there seems to be a theme in the books that we're sort of mentioning or stories that we're mentioning again, uh, when you have women and people of color and queer people and fat people actually like write stories. Imagine there's like right. a representation. Um, so one more story that I wanted to mention was called, I am not Firestar, uh, by Mariko Tabaki and Yoshi uh, Yoshitani. Um, so it's, uh, a DC, I believe it's, uh, it's a pro it's a, oh no, it is a graphic novel, uh, where it speculates that Starfire has had this daughter that she is named Mandy, uh, who is just a short, fat, sort of gothic presenting, just like girl who is not the bright, shining model-esque glowy personality that we all know the character of Starfire to be and just sort of like how she deals with the expectations of being Starfire's daughter um which again is very interesting and I would recommend people to read that so uh, again I'm Demanda Martini you can find me across social media at Demanda Martini um and uh, on this journey, I have a very, again, so this is gonna be at the end of May. Uh, so in May, I'm sorry that you missed me. I'm gonna be playing Lady Bracknell 
in the importance of being earnest. Uh, super excited uh, for this show. I hope that people and locally to Southern Maryland come out to see it. Um, but June, I am very booked and blessed. Um, I was just looking at my spreadsheet and I have a, I, I'm starting a brand new thing we just announced at DC Vegan in Washington, DC. Uh, we're gonna be doing four Pride events. Um, I'm gonna be doing a bunch of drag queen story times in June. Um, so you can find me across DC uh, performing, twirling, uh, cosplaying. I'm also gonna be a guest at Awesome Con, which is the weekend after the, um, this, uh, this airs. Uh, the first weekend in June, we're going to be doing a drag show uh, with myself, Logan Stone, Crimson, the winner of uh, Paint with Raven from Wild Presents, and of course, the iconic Dax exclamation point. Um, so yeah, you can come find me, be nerdy, uh, be gay, do crime uh, stuff. Uh, please come follow me. I would love to chat with all of you. <laughs> and Bar. Oh, I'm going after Demanda with all that wonderfulness. Um, my message that I would like to tell people, gatekeepers, nerds, everybody out there, I want you to love the carrier characters. I want you to love the characters that you love. But please do not put that pressure, your biases on other people and cosplayers. We are all here and people are here to enjoy this art. This art was created as escapism for some, it's healing for some. Hey, some of these characters are people's best friends and do not prevent them from enjoying this because of your own insecurities or biases or your warped sense of thinking. It's not your place. We don't want it. And if you don't have anything better to do, then you need to get a hobby that makes sense because it's not appreciated. and. Cosplay your way and Bar Fox is not going to accept it. So I will fight you and argue with you. Just don't do it. It's, it's for everybody. But anyway, Bullying okay. is never okay. It's not okay. And I, I, I hate seeing it. It's like characters are imagined things. So how dare you tell me that an alien character can't be black or white or whatever. Like, I'm just looking at people like, what is wrong with you? It could be reimagined in so many different ways as it is reimagined from comics to video games to movies. It looks different. So I'm like, why are you not understanding that ability? And it doesn't take a scientist to realize that. So I really would like to prevent and stop all of that chastising people because they want to enjoy what they do and they should be allowed to enjoy it and experience it. So you can find Bar Fox and Cosplay Your Way um, while this is airing at MomoCon. Stop by my table if you're in Atlanta. I will be a guest and I will be alongside Dean's List, the super cosplay designer himself. And then the next month after that, I will be at Ranger Stop and Pop with my girl Karen Ashley in the Kia Breast. And we will be doing some Ranger things and having a good time. And that's always a lot of fun. Um, you can always find the Cost for Your Way in Color documentary and check us all out. It is airing on Freely TV. That's F-R-E-E-L-I TV. And it is a wonderful, wonderful documentary. Again, it's won two awards. If I don't, 
if I can brag about that. <laughs> yes, you brag, can. Brag about yes. it. It's so good. Yes. I'm claiming it. So two telly awards. So please check it out and talk about it. I think more people should watch it. It is definitely entertaining, but it's educational as well. And after that, you will be able to see me at Dragon Con. And um, I think I have a con in between that, but I can't remember what it is. So I'm not going to mention it. But by all means, follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, even still on Facebook at Bar Fox. That's two R's, two X's. And you can also reach me at Cosplay Your Way on all forms of social media, including TikTok. And Colleen. I just want to thank these amazing folks, Chad, for bringing me here, Demanda for bringing me here, and Barfox. It has been so wonderful getting to chat with each one of you and hear your diverse perspectives and experiences. And I take that and honor it. I just am so appreciative that I'm here. And for folks listening, I if this is the first time maybe you've thought about or wondered about any of any any of these topics like body acceptance body neutrality it's it's really messy and it's nuanced and it's not going to ever be all packaged up tied with a pretty little bow but i do want you to know that you're not alone and you can always reach out to me if you you have questions or you want to chat about something in a little bit more depth i'm always open to discussing and conversing with you and the journey that you're on wherever you are in that journey deserves to be respected in the space that you're in so i'll i'll leave those are my final thoughts there and i appreciate all of you listening and you can find me uh, on Instagram only. I'm not on the talks or the Facebooks. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at abroad abroad. It's A B R A U D A B R O A D. And I look forward to to seeing you there, chatting with you there. I really try to curate content that reminds you that you're worthy, you're enough, you're loved, and you belong. So that's really the purpose of what I do on my Instagram. I am. I like to say that I'm a professional hype woman. So if you just need like some uplifting comments in your DMs, like head my way, give me a follow and and I will I will offer that for you as as a way of support. And yeah, you can see me in person in Beauty and the Beast coming up in Southern Maryland as well. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, so thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, and lastly, my name is Chad Anderson. I uh, keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but you can find Graymalkin Lane on Instagram under that name or on Twitter under Graymalkin PP like podcast. We're regularly posting content and uh, some of the stuff we've talked about here, we'll post about uh, when this episode is released as well. In our next episode, we're going to be uh, interviewing the uh, incredible trans writer, Casey Counselor, who wrote Between You and Me, a transitional comic, which is just wonderful. And we're going to be uh, reading um, or reviewing Avengers number 53, which is the culmination of the Magneto story that it feels like we've been on forever. Uh, I am so honored to have sat here uh, and just absorbed the wisdom and experience and love and positivity from each of you. I am uh, a long-term fan of Demanda's. I am a brand new, huge fan of both Barr and uh, Colleen. Um, so this has been lovely. I'm going to be just kind of uh, electric for a couple of hours after this as I just absorb <laughs> all of this. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, we will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. 
Thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Gray Malkin Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Gray Malkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Gray Malkin Lane.